2 Samuel chapter 7, we see where God gave David uh, a period of time in which he was able to rest from his enemies. And uh, we all need that, obviously, from time to time. And chapter 8, we find where David is back in battle once again. And we find that he did battle against the Syrians, the Philistines, the Moabites, and the Amorites. If you look at these different nations, you'll find that he did battle against the enemy from the north, the south, the east, and the west. So he had them from all directions. And he was victorious in all these battles. And twice in this chapter, you'll read where it says, And God preserved David whithersoever he went. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because we have seen time and time and time again throughout the life of David how that God has been with him, how that God has delivered him repeatedly. So that's what we have in chapter 8. So we now come to chapter 9, and we find where David asked a question in verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, this time, Saul is dead, Jonathan is dead, but David remembers a promise that he made to Jonathan. They entered into a covenant. They entered into an agreement. Uh, we looked at this, I think, back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, where David agreed that he would always show kindness to the house of Saul, which meant, of course, to the house of Jonathan. Now, David could have took the attitude, I suppose, well, Jonathan's dead. Saul's dead. There were no witnesses to the agreement that I made with Jonathan, so I don't see any need in pursuing it. But again, this shows the kind of man David was, the integrity of this man. We find that David remembers, and he knows God remembers. God knows all about it. So he asked this question. Is there any in the house of Saul that I might show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, all the blessings we receive in life, never forget they're for Jesus' sake, okay? God blesses us for Jesus' sake. Now, in Ephesians 1.3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. After the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he ascended into heaven and sat down as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, he's on his throne, and he has the right, the authority, the sovereign right and authority, and the wisdom to do so, to dispense of all spiritual blessings to his children as he sees fit. And so David is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in this regard. The name David means beloved. He was a man after God's own heart. Both of these statements pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. So David remembers this promise. Now this promise was made before Mephibosheth, which we'll get to in just a moment, was ever born. Now there's a man by the name of Ziba, who you might say was the estate manager of Saul's when Saul was living, is going to reply to David's question. It says, There was at the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba, and when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God 
unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan yet hath a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, and Lodibar. Then, sent, then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, thy servant. So here is how this chapter opens up. David inquiring twice, Is there any of the house of Saul that I might show kindness, the kindness of God in the second reference? Notice that, the kindness of God unto him for Jonathan's sake. Now, Mephibosheth is lame on his feet. Mephibosheth was five years old. You go back and read 2 Samuel chapter 4. You find where the news had come of the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites, which the Philistines won, and this is where Saul and Jonathan were slain. Now, he had a son by the name of Mephibosheth, who is five years old at the time, and he's under the care of a nurse. And when the news comes, she takes him and flees hastily. In so doing, she drops him. He's injured, and he became lame permanently on both his feet. Now, let's take a look at Mephibosheth just for a moment. Mephibosheth, the name itself means a shameful thing. Now, that's exactly what we all are by nature. I want you to see in Mephibosheth a picture of us. I want you to see a picture of sinners. I want you to see a picture of the Lord's people according to nature. For we likewise are a shameful thing. In the sight of God, apart from God's grace... We have a nature that's at enmity against God. Mephibosheth, being Jonathan's son, again, was not born at the time this covenant was made between David and Jonathan. He knows nothing about it. Just like there was a covenant made before time began that embraced all the Lord's children, embracing you, embracing myself, that we knew nothing about it at the time because we didn't exist except in the mind and purpose of God. But God foreknew us and chose us, elected us, named us, and gave us to his son in a covenant relationship. And all the blessings that we have received in time in this life here has been a result, uh, you know, for Christ's sake. So Mephibosheth is somebody that David is going to show kindness to and yet, this is somebody who has never done one thing of kindness for David. He never done anything for David in the past. And he does not have the ability to do anything for David in the present or in the future. Now, that's what grace is, isn't it? That's grace, pure and simple. Grace, the unmerited favor of God upon undeserving sinners. Mephibosheth has done nothing to deserve this kindness. He's going to receive kindness as a result of David inquiring, is there anyone of the household of Saul? Now, Saul's household was a household uh, that was, of course, against David. And as I've stated before, uh, Saul was an enemy of David, but in David's mind, he was not. Two different times we find where David said that God had delivered him from all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And when I first read that, I uh, wonder why Saul was separated out. 
about the study of the life of David, I'm confident it's because he never considered Saul to be an enemy, even though he tried to take his life multiple times over a period of 10 years plus. Now, I would consider somebody like that, you know, to be an enemy. But David had respect for the office, and he knew that Saul was the anointing of God to fill that office. So he didn't view him as an enemy. When we find Mephibosheth, his name means a shameful thing. He dwells in a land called Lodibar. The word Lodibar means a place without pasture. Now, I want you to get the picture here. I, I believe that to me, that's simply a picture of the world in which we're living here. There's no real pasture for God's people to feed in apart from the gospel, apart from his written word out here in the world. There's nothing uh, that was, is worthwhile to benefit God's people in a spiritual way outside his written word, outside the scriptures, and outside the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking back again at his name, it points to our nature. It points to our depravity. We begin to look at our condition by nature. The Bible is pretty graphic in describing some of these things. For example, in the book of Job, Job said, For vain man would be wise to be born like a wild ass's colt. A uh, colt is born wild. Uh, you know, uh, it's even more miraculous when you think about that, when the Lord come riding upon an ass, a colt, the fold of an ass in Jerusalem, the Bible makes it very clear that never man had written on that animal. He had not been broken, but when the Lord got on him, the, he never bucked one time. When the Lord got on him, the Lord had a very smooth ride right into Jerusalem, you see. So Job says, for vain, man would be wise. He, he would be wise, but it's vain. Why? Because he's born like a wild ass's colt. Job asked the question, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? By nature, we're unclean. And you cannot bring something clean out of something that's unclean. That's an impossibility. Jeremiah makes a statement, asked a question, can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can a leper change his spots? These are simple illustrations, all pointing to the same thing. A leper has spots. That's how you identify him as a leper. He cannot change those. An Ethiopian has a cer certain color of skin. He cannot change that. That's, that's who he is. And we have a depraved nature that we cannot change on our own. We can't change it for ourselves. We can't change it for a loved one. We can't change it for a friend. We can't change it for anyone. It takes the power of God to do something like that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, You're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible. Showing two seeds, one corruptible seed, one incorruptible seed. The seed that we're conceived by in nature is corruptible. But when we're born of the Spirit of God, there's an incorruptible seed that abides within us. That's why the Apostle John tells us that, you know, he that's born again cannot commit sin. The word commit means to be committed to, to live a life of. And what's on the inside of him, that within itself, it cannot commit sin. We look in Psalms 39, and David said, man in his best state is altogether vanity. Now, if he's, at, if he's altogether vanity in his best state, what is in his worst you know, it goes beyond comprehension, does it? Not in his very best state, his very best condition, he's just altogether vanity. 
That's all there is to it. And, and the list really could go on. We could, of course, go to Romans chapter 8 and verses 7 and 8 says uh, that the carnal mind is enmity against God, not subject to the law of God. Therefore, they that are in the flesh, apart from the Spirit of God, cannot please God. So man cannot please God in his nature. He's at enmity against God in his nature. And that's what Mephibosheth represents to us. His name means a shameful thing. Mephibosheth is lame. He cannot walk. And by nature, that's our condition. You know, a lot of times you hear people say, well, all we got to do is take the first step toward God. Well, Mephibosheth couldn't take any step. He couldn't take a step toward David. No more than you can take a step toward Christ because you're dead in trespasses and in sin. Uh, Mephibosheth is lame as a result of a fall. Now, when Adam transgressed God's law, Adam fell. An entire human race fell in Adam. He didn't stumble. He didn't stump his toe. He didn't trip. He fell. He broke God's law, broke God's commandment, disobeyed God, transgressed God's law. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore but one man is talking about Adam. Sin came into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And he plunged the entire human race under the law of sin and death, and because the entire human race was plunged under the law of sin and death, that means the Lord's people that were chosen out of the human race, they're in the same condition, and we have the same nature, you know, of those who are not the Lord's people. So Mephibosheth represents the ruined sinner. Mephibosheth here is in a terrible condition. He's lame as a result of a fall. He cannot walk. He cannot take a step. He has to be cared for. Uh, he's in really, really bad shape. Now, he was the son of Jonathan. And David's going to show him kindness, not because of anything Mephibosheth has ever done or couldn't do for him. And God doesn't show us kindness because we've done something for him or can do anything for him apart from his grace. Hope you can see that tonight. Kindness is a very wonderful thing. Uh, we should always be looking for opportunity to show kindness. Uh, that's what God has done for us. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Well, notice, God draws you on the basis of what? He draws you on the basis of loving kindness. Uh, you can come up with any other thing you want to, but if it's not loving kindness, it's not right. He draws you on the basis of loving kindness kindness. Now that's all one word, by the way, in Jeremiah. In the New Testament, uh, you will not find it in one word. You find it in two words, love and kindness, such as uh, Titus 3, 4. But after that, the love and kindness of God toward man appeared. Well, what does the verse above that say? He says, for we were sometimes foolish, deceived, serving divers' lust, and hateful, and hating one another. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty strong language, isn't it? Uh, I just described you, and I just, just described me right there, apart again from the grace of God. That's exactly who Mephibosheth represents here. Uh, he's lame as a result of a fall. We find his name means shameful thing, and he's in exile, by the way. He's in hiding. He's a fugitive, all right? He's a fugitive. 
Now, what about us? You know we use the expression sometimes, a dead alien sinner. And if you're not a primitive Baptist, <laughs> you probably don't know what in the world is he talking about. Somebody from outer space? You know, a dead alien <laughs> sinner. Well, what we mean by that is this. Uh, we're all sinners. I think everybody can understand that. You know, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. So we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're all sinners. No exceptions. And we're dead in sin. Ephesians 2, 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespassing sin. And we're alienated from God as a result of that. Therefore, indeed, uh, before one is born the Spirit of God, he's a dead alien sinner. And we got our own kind of language we use, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in, among our people. And, and sometimes, you know, we use those kind of expressions. I'm sure when a person hears that for the first time, they really, what, what's that mean? A dead alien sinner? Well, I just tried to explain it to you. And that's what Mephibosheth is here. He's in hiding. He's a fugitive. Um, he realizes that his father is dead. His grandfather is dead. Saul's no longer the king. David is now king, and so this is his condition. Now, he lives in a place again called Lodibar. That means a place of no pasture. It reminds me when David, excuse me, when God found Jacob. Where did God find Jacob at? God found Jacob in a desert land in a waste howling wilderness. Where was Ruth at uh, in the book of Ruth? Where did she grow up? She grew up in a place called Moab. The word Moab means barren. It means unfruitful. And, and that's our condition once again. It's the condition of the world in which we live. It, it's a barren world. It's an unfruitful world. This, this world will never bring forth fruit for God. In the name of God, never will. So we live in a desert land, in a waste howling wilderness. We live in Moab. And we live in Lodibar. In other words, this is not a place where we can feed. This is not a place where the Lord's people, I'm talking about outside the Lord's church, here in this world in which we live here. Now, after David gets an answer to his question, David gives a command. Notice here in verse 5, Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now, I like that word, fetch. <laughs> now, we usually think about the word fetch when we got a, we got a dog. And we throw a, a stick and we holler, fetch. And he goes to get it and bring it back. Well, David says, go fetch him. That was a very strong command that David gave. And that's exactly what God does when he borns us of the Spirit of God. God sends his Spirit and it's effectual. It never returns unto him void. All the objects of God's love, sometime between their conception and death, will be born of the Spirit of God. God will fetch us in that regard, so to speak. So he sends and he uh, commands that he is to be fetched. And so when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, and you see, it was effectual, wasn't it? I mean, he fetched him. And, and the expressions like this uh, over in the book of Titus 2 and 9, this reminds me of that. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. That means all categories of men, all types of men, not every man without exception, but every man without distinction. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Okay? 
So again, the all men that I just explained is what's under consideration there. Now, the grace of God doesn't offer salvation. The grace of God brings salvation. The grace of God that bringeth salvation. There's a lot of difference in bringing salvation and honoring, I mean, offering salvation. Like uh, we hear, uh, you know, in the religious world out here. So David, he sends to fetch Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is fetched. And he comes to where David is at. And when he comes to him, he says, David, he came before David, he fell on his face and did reverence. Now, that is the proper position for God's children. When they've had an experience of grace, it should not exalt you. It should not lift you up. Uh, it should not make you feel important. The grace of God doesn't do that. The grace of God is the only thing that will show you inwardly how unworthy that you are. I, you've heard me say before, I can teach you what sin is. I can teach you uh, the impact of sin. I can teach you the effects of sin. But I cannot teach you to really recognize and realize and feel that you're a sinner. Only God can do that. Only God can teach you in your heart and show you that you are a vile, corrupt, unworthy, depraved sinner, unworthy of His grace and His mercy, uh, and yet you are worthy of hell itself were it not for the grace of God. So what does he do here? He comes and he falls on his face and does reverence to David. Do a little Bible search. See how many times well-known individuals in the Bible, when God appeared to them, see what they did. Go to Genesis chapter 17. You find where God appears unto Abraham. Actually, he's still called Abram at this point. And he says, I am the Lord God Almighty. He appears unto Abram as the Almighty God that he is. You know what Abram did? The Bible says he fell on his face. Then God had a conversation with him. When you're on your face and God's speaking to you, uh, that's a pretty good position to be in, okay? You'll listen. In the fifth chapter in the book of Joshua, just before Joshua is about to cross Jordan to do battle against Jericho, we find where there's one that appears before him with his sword drawn against him. And Joshua inquires who he is. And he tells him he's captain of the Lord of hosts. And when Joshua got that message, you know what Joshua did? The Bible says Joshua fell at his feet and worshipped him. In Saul's case, you go to Acts chapter 9. He's on the way road to Damascus. He's on the road to Damascus to imprison God's people, to arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem, and put them in prison. We find the Lord deals with him. The Lord strikes him down uh, in the brightness of the noonday sun. He says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You know what Saul does? The Bible says he fell to the earth. When Christ appeared unto him, he fell to the earth. We got Joshua falling his face in worship. We got Abram falling on his face before God. You take a look at the four and twenty elders and the four beasts in the book of Revelation brought to our attention in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. At the end of chapter 5 it says that they all fell at his feet and prior to that they took the crowns on their heads and cast them at the feet of Jesus. They all fell at his feet. That's the only position that we can find ourselves in is in the very dust of the earth when God makes an appearance to us like he did unto Joshua or Abram or Saul 
or those four beasts and four and twenty elders, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Christ appears between Moses and Elijah, we find Peter, James, and John are there. And when he appears before them and is transfigured before their, them, what do they do? The Bible says they all fell and worshipped him. They all fell down. That's where we belong, in the very dust of the earth, in a place where we actually was made from. God made man from the dust of the earth, and that's where we belong. And that's what Mephibosheth did when he comes to David. He's been fetched when he comes before David. You're going to find where he falls on his face and does reverence. Now, in the book of Psalms 111, verse 9, David says, He sent redemption unto his people. And he says, He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. One of the things that's lacking, I believe, in the religious circles today is a lack of reverence for God. We're talking about the Creator God. I was just thinking the other day concerning even the translations of the Bible. The supposed goal of translations is to make the Bible more readable, the Bible more understandable, to filter out the unnecessary words, etc. You know, to me, that's an insult to God. That's showing disrespect to God. That's really saying, Lord, you know, you made this Bible way too difficult for people to read. We, we didn't help you out on this. Uh, we're going to uh, do a translation, and, and we're going to put it in, in words where everybody can understand. No, they just put it in words they want you to understand what they want you to understand. That's what they're doing. And I thought, how disrespectful that is to God Almighty. And this is his word. He had this word recorded. And yet he's got men on this earth here saying, uh, we, we can do a little better job. Well, we can make this, uh, uh, you know, uh, where people want to read it more. It's more understandable and more people will read it if we do. And if that's the case, why, according to statistics, less people read the Bible today than the history of mankind? Reverence. You go to Hebrews chapter 13, and Paul says, wherefore, the last verse, actually chapter 12, I believe it is, and he says, Wherefore, seeing we, we are receiving a kingdom, it's let us, uh, it says, receiving a kingdom, let us serve God with reverence and godly fear. When we come into the house of worship, as we have, have here are tonight, it's not a place to be afraid of God. It's not a place to be frightened of God. Uh, under no circumstances should you ever be afraid and frightened of God. But we do need to have a reverential fear for God. And we need to reverence Him on all occasions. And that's missing a great deal. Sometimes people talk about the man upstairs. That's not giving reverence to God. Uh, you're not going to hear me say that, except right then when I said that, because I'm saying what other people say. Um, you know, uh, people shouldn't speak about God like they speak about people here on this earth. That's not giving him reverence. Mephibosheth falls on his face and gives reverence to God. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. Is there any other answer? Is there really any other answer than that? You remember uh, last Wednesday night in 2 Samuel 7, where David comes sets before the Lord? And he says, Who am I, O Lord? That was David's attitude to God. And now we find here Mephibosheth said, Behold thy servant. Now put yourself in Mephibosheth's shoes just for a moment. He knows that his father is dead and cannot represent him. He knows his grandfather is dead 
and he knows the history, no doubt, of his grandfather being an enemy to David and trying his best to slay David time and time and time again, but unsuccessful due to the providential intervention of God. He knows all of that. Wonder what he thought when they come to fetch him. Wonder what went through his mind when they came to fetch him. King David wants me. I'm the grandson of Saul. Saul was his arch enemy. Saul spent over 10 years trying to catch him, trying to slay him. What does he want me for? Now, maybe Saul had said some things to him as a small boy about David, and maybe Jonathan had. But I'm telling you, I, 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 think, John, uh, I think Mephibosheth right here is very, very concerned about what this meeting is going to be about. King David can put him in prison. King David can have him slain. He can do anything. He's the king. So he says, when he calls him, he, now notice, he said Mephibosheth. <laughs> David called him by name, just like the Lord does. 2 Timothy 2.19, the foundation of God stands sure having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Study John chapter 10, the good shepherd chapter of the Bible, and you'll find where the Lord Jesus Christ, as the good shepherd, calls his sheep by name. Uh, Jesus called different ones by their names. Here you're going to find where David calls Mephibosheth by his name. Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth responds by saying, Behold thy servant. Now, that's the position that we should be in. We should consider ourselves to be servants of the Most High God. And David said unto him, Fear not. <laughs> I want you to notice what David's going to give Mephibosheth here in these next few verses. He says, Fear not, Mephibosheth. And that expression is used over and over and over again in the Bible. So this tells me that David could see some fear in the face, in the life of Mephibosheth. But he calms his fears. He says, fear not. As I've said many times, just read the next expression and it'll always tell you why you shouldn't fear. So David tells Mephibosheth to fear not. He says, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake. You think Mephibosheth was looking for that answer? You think Mephibosheth was anticipating that answer? That King David is going to show him kindness for his father's sake? Jonathan? This is the first news Mephibosheth knows anything about this. He wasn't anticipating that answer. I'm sure he didn't know what to think, what to anticipate, what to expect. But this is what David says to him. And he says, We'll restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat it my, eat bread at my table continually. Have you ever got some news and you say, well, that's just too good to be true? Well, this is a message right here to Mephibosheth. It's just too good to be true. I've been called by King David. I'm of the household of Saul. The household of Saul's enmity, uh, enemies, uh, has been enemies against David's household. Uh, I come, and he tells me not to fear. He says he's going to show me kindness for my father's sake. Uh, he's going to restore unto me uh, what I had lost. When Saul and Jonathan were slain, what would have been Mephibosheth has all been lost. So David is going to restore that back to him. And this is something, by the way, that David didn't pay a dime for, but it's his as king. He's going to give it back to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth hasn't earned it. It comes back to him by grace, right? Mephibosheth is going to have that restored plus some. 
He's going to eat at the table of David, not just one meal. He's going to eat at the table of David continuously. Now, you know what happened when, when we transgressed through Adam? We fell in the law of sin and death. When the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed us, we were restored, but God didn't restore to us real estate. See, David restored Mephibosheth real estate. He gave Mephibosheth land. You know what you have? You have heaven. That's what you have. You have an inheritance that's not of this world. You have an inheritance the Apostle Peter spoke about. He says, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. You have an inheritance which you are an heir and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christ has done for you. That's far superior to what David did for Mephibosheth, isn't it? But he says, you shall eat at my table continuously. That shows fellowship. Uh, you talking about grace one more time and mercy. This is what we're looking at here. We're looking at the mercy of, you know, of, of David being a type of Christ. The mercy of God, the kindness of God. The mercy and kindness of David being extended unto somebody who has never done one thing for David, couldn't do it. He's lame on both feet. He's not capable. And here's how Mephibosheth responds to that. Look in verse 8. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou should look upon such a dead dog as I am? Obviously, Mephibosheth doesn't feel worthy of this. Mephibosheth, I think he's astonished. He says, I'm just a dead dog. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I'm a dead dog. You know, uh, in the book of Ruth, in chapter 2, when Ruth is gleaned in fields of Boaz, you know what her reaction was? She says, have I received grace at thy hand, seeing I'm a stranger? That was her reaction. That was her response. I'm, I'm just a stranger. I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of this, these blessings. That's what Mephibosheth is saying here. He said, I'm no more than just a dead dog. What were we by nature? We were dead in trespasses and sins, right? No, no better than a dead dog. And we'd remain in that position, in that condition, were it not for the grace of God. But God has extended kindness toward us for Jesus' sake, for the sake of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 10 he says, Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall tend the land for him. Now notice, it just, it just keeps going. And thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. And this is David's instructions to Ziba. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's 35 besides him. And they're going to till Mephibosheth's property. They're going to till his land. Mephibosheth can't do it. They're going to do it for him. And where's Mephibosheth going to be all this time? He's going to be sitting at the table of David, eating at David's table continually. He's going to eat the very best that they have in that day. The very best of King David is going to be set before him. In a sense, you see, David unofficially adopted Mephibosheth in his family. He's going to eat the table with his family, with his sons. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that thou, my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. It keeps getting better, doesn't it? <laughs> it just keeps getting better. 
You know, as I live in life, and the more I try to read and study the Word of God, the more I meet with God's people in the house of God, to me it just keeps getting better. It keeps getting better and better and better. When I see the tremendous contrast of the refuge and sanctuary I have in, in the Lord's kingdom, in the Lord's house, compared to what is out here in the world, it, it just keeps getting better. Uh, it's just too good to be true. Uh, how is it that somebody such as I, as a dead dog such as I, as a stranger such as I, to be the recipients, recipient of such gracious blessings that God has bestowed upon me? And I get to eat at the Lord's table with the Lord's people. And just like Mephibosheth, you know, his, his feet are lame, but his feet are under the table and they're hid. And all of our faults, all of our frailties, all of our weaknesses, everything about us, they're all hid in the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't they? They're all hid in Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? I know you are. Uh, aren't you happy about that tonight to know what God has done for the, us according to his loving kindness when we didn't deserve it, when it's all based upon him doing it for us for Jesus' sake, like David did this for Jonathan's sake. And Jonathan comes, no doubt, expecting the worst and hearing the best. <laughs> you know, expecting the worst. I, I knew, you know, he had to be expecting the worst. He expected to be put in prison, expected to be beaten, expected perhaps to have his life taken. Next thing you know, he's sitting at the king's table. Next thing you know, he's with the king's sons. Next thing you know, his feet's under the king's table. He's eating the very best there is to eat. Uh, it'd be hard to understand just what's going through his mind and his heart at this particular time after receiving one good bit of news after another. It was just hardly no stopping place. It's kind of like Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Uh, you know, I think if Paul had the vocabulary, he'd have just kept climbing and climbing and climbing all the way to heaven, probably, with words to try to describe the blessings that God bestows upon God's children. So this ends in this manner here. And this is not the end of Mephibosheth, but it's going to be the end of our message tonight. Look at verse, <clears throat> verses 12 and 13. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Several times we're talking about the kindness of David to him. Several times we're talking about the, the king's table and Mephibosheth eating at the king's table, not just one meal, but every single day continuously. What grace. What grace God's bestowed upon undeserving sinners here in this world. You know, grace, we have definitions for grace, but I'll close with this definition that's the biblical definition for grace. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, For we know the grace of God, that though he was rich, yet he became poor for our sakes, that we through his poverty might become rich. Jesus, who owns it all, became the poorest of the poor, that we in the poverty of our nation, nature might become rich in the Lord Jesus Christ.